Hello and welcome to Too Fast, Too Forever. And welcome to the family, we chose this one. This is episode 324, Titanic from 1997. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe Too. And this episode is brought to you by NVIDIA. And their NVIDIA Titan X featuring the NVIDIA Pascal architecture is the ultimate graphics card. Whatever you're doing, this groundbreaking Titan X gives you the power to accomplish things you never thought possible. Shout out to NVIDIA. Well, shout out to NVIDIA and welcome to Too Fast, Too Forever with us today. He has been on the show before. You know him, you love him from his data-driven everything, his newsletter, Numlock News. And the reason he's on right now is because next week, I'm very excited about this. Joe, you know I have a book podcast. Yes, you do. And this guy is another author for the pile. His book, You Are What You Watch, How Movies and TV Affect Everything, is out next week with us once again. Either, depending on who you ask, Walt or Walter Hickey. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Thanks again for having me. This is always fun. (laughs) I have a bone to pick with you already, because I was saying before we started recording, I'm like, are you Walt? Are you Walter? So on the cover of the book, you are Walt. I am, yes. But on Amazon, it says, by Walter Hickey. So really there, it doesn't make any sense. Follow the author, Walter Hickey, by Walter Hickey author, on the cover, Walt Hickey, and then right below it, worthy brag. Winner of the Pulitzer Prize. Thank you. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to investigate that Amazon situation again. Like I go by either. I go by both. Uh, it's not like there's a rival Walt or Walter Hickey who's trying to to uh, to <laughs> muscle in on my turf right now. So uh, yeah, We're, uh, thanks again for well, having you're me. You're the this only really one in our hearts too. Aww. And thank you for being here. So before we talk about Titanic, which I don't, you know, everybody knows what Titanic is. I'll get into the background. Whatever. Can you talk about the book? Because I, as soon as you announced it, because I've been reading Numlock News for years it feels like probably um and obviously i love movies and tv but what is the book about because i honestly this is gonna sound strange i don't know what the book is about i just know that you wrote it it's about movies and tv i'm just like that's all i need to know when i pre-ordered it so i don't know what i'm gonna read but like what is the book about oh you're in for a treat so uh the book is a lot of an outgrowth of a lot of the reporting i was doing at 538 uh the stuff that i'm continually interested in which is essentially the role that movies and television have on the world um, I have always kind of taken a data eye to this kind of stuff. And the long and short of it is that this book is about all the ways that pop culture manifests in reality, whether it's how you physically react to consuming a film, whether that's your nervous system or your bloodstream or or just the various bio- biological manners in which your body experiences a movie. Uh, it's about the ways that that can have effect on a person. That can be people who decided to become doctors because they watch ER, people who decided to become paleontologists because they saw Jurassic park uh people who saw a role model or maybe representation in an area that didn't necessarily exist before uh it's also about just kind of the ways that we can track these really cool reverberations that pop culture has on the world as a whole this can be something as basic as you know after 101 dalmatians gets re-released all of a sudden dalmatians go from being a rather unpopular dog to being one of the top 10 fairly overnight uh (laughs) affecting the lives of hundreds of thousands of dogs Mm -hmm. and so um it's that it's you know it's how tourism could spike in New Zealand after the Lord of the Rings movies. It's all these different stories that you've probably heard in one way or another. But in this book, building a case for why pop culture, movies, television, it's we spend so much meaningful time with it. And it really ought to be treated with the respect and, and the uh, understanding of the impact that it can actually kind of have on us. 
Now, do you have a chapter in this awesome. book about how after I saw the movie Chef, I went out and ordered a grilled cheese immediately? <laughs> Not that specific anecdote, but I am also very much obsessed with like different trendy things that happen after you see them in movies. You see this with fashion trends a whole lot. Uh, mm-hmm. My favorite one is name trends, which are just such a very oh obvious, yeah. Like there's a chart in the book that that uh, you know. It, I'm sure it's been circulated by this point, but basically you can kind of just draw a line down, you know, a dozen or so names of like before and after Luna Lovegood was named in Harry Potter and how it goes from being Bella, all the Bellas from Twilight, all the Bellas from Twilight. We're we're starting to hit it. Like we're starting to hit that 18 year point that we're like, we're going to get Khaleesi's in like four years, right? Like all the Emma's after friends. All, I mean, you want to talk about Khaleesi's, it's not gonna be Khaleesi's. It's already Arya's baby. If you look at the baby names chart, Arya's are off the chart. But I'm saying we're going to hit the point at 18 where they like start becoming professional athletes and stuff. And then you're going to start seeing (laughs) them like newscasters and athletes. And that's when I'm like, Oh shit, that's what they were all doing. (laughs) And there's Drogo with the pass. And then like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, you know, just the fact that you already kind of like pick up up and down it's like this is stuff that we know happens this is stuff that we realize has a reverberation in society and the book's argument is basically that we are drastically underestimating the impact that this has on us we are not giving it enough attention and and due respect and i think uh it's it's full of uh over a hundred uh data visualizations and graphics that i think uh everyone's gonna dig so uh yeah i mean we can talk more about the book later i would like to talk about a boat that tried to do something very, very important and accidentally did a different important thing. I learned. Okay. Yeah. I I have one more question about the book. Of course. And I wanna, well, we can talk about Titanic, but I, so I bought the Kindle version because I, even in spite of like, you can see the books, like that's only like one of my few bookshelves, but like, I just like, my wrists are like, Oh, I'm, I'm too weak to read an actual book. I need the press button. Like, do I need to read this on the iPad? Like is color going to matter for the visualizations or yes. is it going to, is black and white? Okay. So you were, this thing sitting totally in color. I like, I got the early galleys, which are like the first versions that they mm-hmm. print out. And, okay. um, they basically like have the texture of like manga. Basically. I don't know if you buy any manga, uh, but like sure, it, okay. it's like you know like quick kind of put together and like it looks great in that format don't get me wrong but like when i finally got the full color copy it it's, it's something else uh it is a uh, it is awesome. a book i worked with uh heather jones uh who's a data visualization uh expert and she and okay. i worked uh on on these uh really just kind of gorgeous charts that i think people are going to get a kick out of so yeah uh definitely Sweet. definitely get it i'm excited <laughs> so now let's talk about that dengel boat so okay you said there, there was a transition, something you said a little bit ago that was going to transition. My favorite fact about Titanic, you said something about like the things like people don't, un, people underestimate the impact of movies or whatever. It's not exactly that, but my favorite fact about Titanic, and I found this out on the With Gorley and Russ podcast, is that Titanic changed its release date so as to not directly compete with Scream 2, which in retrospect seems <laughs> hilarious. Like Scream, great movie. Cult we hit, love Scream. Spawned a yeah. great franchise. We love we love Scream. We stand Scream on this podcast. But Titanic, which is historically one of the most successful anything's of all time, was just like I don't know about Scream Two. Let's push back a week. And that is just so funny to me. Knowing like this movie cost more than the boat, but also made you know eleven times its budget. Like it's like it's insane. But like my favorite fact about this movie isn't really even about this movie. It's just that James Cameron and company were like. Mm, Scream 2 might mess up our flow. Listen, Let's move back. I tell you what, this makes a lot of sense to me because the last time that Titanic had an opportunity to divert course and didn't, it went really oh, badly for it. So I, I did see, I saw trivia that said if they had hit the iceberg head on, it would have been fine. 
I don't know if it's that's the scraping. Real enough, maybe, yeah, they wouldn't. Maybe they, they would just crumpled the front straight on. If they had Ghostface in the face, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Um, before we talk about this movie, though, we have some. We have two questions because Walt, this lap entirely is planes, trains, but no automobiles. So we're doing. Even though you pointed out when I when I brought this up to you, there is a car in this movie. A very very important car in this movie. But we're doing movies that are about vehicles that aren't cars predominantly. So you know, the titular Titanic is a boat. Um, but we have each have a question for you, just broadly. Do you have a favorite? It could be this one. I don't know. Yeah. Do you have a favorite movie? about a vehicle that's not a car or like that has a car a vehicle chase that's not a car something favorite movie with a non-car in it yes um wow amazing question uh i'm gonna tell the two that immediately come to mind um okay i'm a gigantic sucker for all the miyazaki movies that are about planes so porco Mm. rosso is my favorite miyazaki movie and then the wind rises is my other favorite miyazaki movie and basically the entire conceit that he has that like you know like airplanes are like an expression of man's dreams and like they are complicated objects that like require enormous technical precision that you can throw your entire life into and still you know that there's something fundamentally beautiful about airplanes uh is is a like that hits me right here and so uh i i love those two movies a lot and absolutely favorite plane movies probably favorite boat movies probably favorite vehicle chase movies i would i would uh, any of the porco rosso airplane fights oh beautiful stuff joe hit him with your question please what is the most interesting weird your favorite vehicle that you've ever been in that's not a car that you've been in or driven my favorite vehicle that's not a car that i've been in or driven this is such a provocative question and i really like it a lot i think that there's like there's fun new york city transit stuff that i think okay you you have to do at some points like that you can take the like there's the 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 tram that connects manhattan to roosevelt's island um there's that secret trick that if you if you hang out in the a train as it loops back around you can go see the old city hall station uh that has been since closed off since the 20s like i think that there's like I think that like New York City transit that kind of takes you to a place that isn't a weird, uh, uh, like a place that you ought to go is uh, okay. some of the fun stuff. Um, like you can take just the like nobody takes the train all the way out to the Rockaways, but you can. Like, like I feel like kind of mm, using yeah. the system um, like that in almost like the kind of like urban explorer kind of style of experience rather than you know simply using it as a transit option, which I know is is like sure. a twist on your question, but I feel like every time no, I've done that, that I that's felt really like, cool. It, it like takes you to a place like in a mindset that in like a city in a system that you like really kind of fundamentally understand and use potentially on a day to day basis, but like uh, are able to kind of have a, a better time doing uh, just. Yeah. Like through. how many commuters are doing these weird things, right? Like, none. yeah, you know, like, you could exist your to the entire end of the life line. working. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Good. Cool. I like that. Thank you. So let's now talk officially about the beautiful boat, the Titanic. If you don't know what Titanic is about, I don't know <laughs> I don't know who you are or how you're alive right now, but a 17-year-old aristocrat falls in love with a kind but poor artist aboard the luxurious, ill-fated RMS Titanic. As we're recording this episode, because we're doing it a little bit in advance, it was on Netflix, but it's off Netflix as of October 1st. I mean, I have the Blu-ray, but it's convenient that it's still on Netflix this week. It's probably somewhere else at this point when this episode comes out. I don't know. Written, directed, produced by James Cameron, shot by Russell Carpenter, budget of $200 million. box office made a cool $2.257 billion, <laughs> set a box office record being number one for 15 weeks in a row from December of 97 to April of 98. This was still in theaters, in like 400 theaters, 
when it was out on VHS. Like people are like, you can buy it at home. People are like, I'm still gonna go see it in theaters. <clears throat> wow. I was surprised. I was saying to you, I think Joe, or I, there's stuff like peripherally that like surprise, like not things about Titanic don't really surprise me because I'm just like, yeah, of course. But like 88 on Rotten Tomatoes, but only a 69 by audience, which I feel is low. Yeah, I that don't is know. Weird. Maybe that's maybe Haters? that's boys who don't like romance movies. I guess. And the consensus calls it a mostly unqualified triumph for James Cameron. I'm like mostly unqualified. All right. It's a qualification. Critic of 75. Yeah. <laughs> that is yeah, that's specifically yeah. a qualification. A, qual- a qualification unqualified triumph. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um I have some trivia, but before we get to trivia, well, I don't know if you know, but there is a feature on IMDb called Crazy Credits. Do you know about Crazy Credits? I am familiar with Crazy Credits, yes. So we thought these were going to be the coolest things in the world, and then we were routinely disappointed until we got to like Airplane, where we're like, oh, this is actually what it's supposed to be for. I will let you know there are four Crazy Credits for this movie. From what I remember, they're terrible. But here they are, Crazy Credits for Titanic. Number one, Joe, I hope you're ready. This is... Maybe the craziest credit we've had so far. This boat sinks? <laughs> no, it's, that's not a crazy credit. That's just okay. trivia. In the final credits, the name of musician Ian Underwood. Ian, okay. I need, to, I, need to, I need to pronounce this right because this is the whole point of the trivia or the crazy <laughs> credit. Musician Ian Underwood is incorrectly reported as Ian Underworld. Isn't that crazy? They got his <laughs> name wrong. At least, at least that's like not describing the credits to us. So I'll give them. people found it helpful. <laughs> she found it unhelpful. I wonder if Ian Underwood wrote that cre- crazy credit in there. He himself. definitely did. Probably. Yeah. Number two, there are no opening credits after the title has been shown. Crazy. Forty-eight up. 48 I think I'm, I'm beating. I'm beginning to get the game. It's so disappointing because I saw crazy credits. I'm just like, what could this possibly be? And it sucks. Always <laughs> sucks. Always sucks. Number three. Although a co-production between Paramount Pictures and 20th Century Fox, only one of the logos appears at the beginning, Paramount in the U.S. version and Fox in the international version. Yet, ironically, Paramount is mentioned first in the international credits, while Fox is mentioned first in the U.S. credits. That is so crazy. crazy. That's up, not even ironic. That's the, like, no. That doesn't make sense. That would make mm-hmm. sense if like you get the one and I get the other. Like uh-huh. We do the Lennon-McCartney, yeah. McCartney-Lennon. Like, yeah. You're right there with us. Picking up on it perfectly. The (laughs) final crazy credit. On domestic prints. Keep in mind the trivia we just heard. Okay? On domestic prints, the Paramount Pictures closing logo is not seen. Instead, the final credit reads, produced and released by 20th Century Fox and Paramount Pictures. On international prints, the final credit reads, Same thing again. Produced and released by Paramount Pictures and 20th Century Fox, nine up, three down. Same exact credit. Same exact detail, rewritten Weirdlier. without the irony, but like it's not like there's this. This movie has more trivia than any other movie we've ever done. It's like 450 things on IMDb. There's four of these. So when this person wrote it, there were three of them, and one of the ones was verbatim, basically what they wrote. So like, why submit it? So the important thing to remember sometimes is that like, and this is like you know I've done a lot of data work in in pop culture and IMDb needs to be understood for what it is, which is Mm -hmm. a thing that was basically when an internet forum conversation got too big that they decided to put it on a website and then eventually they sold it to Amazon and like some Mm -hmm. stuff happened in between. But the important thing to remember is that the two most important events is this was a forum list. Like the most like 
if you looked at you know how they each have like name identifiers or name ids like if you went to the actress yep, yep, like yep. like like you know there's a reason that like jack nicholson is like n 3 because he was the third movie star that they thought of to add to imdb like mm-hmm. and it's just it's the it, imdb frustrates me to no end of times because obviously uh-huh. if you were to rebuild the system from scratch you would do it completely and utterly differently but the fact that like it is literally just an internet forum that kind of got bought by the largest retailer on the planet explains every issue with imdb to me <laughs> i have loved imdb for a long time and yet the more i use it specifically for this podcast the more i'm just like this site sucks like it's terrible like in every like the ui is now terrible like it's awful to use but now these features i'm just like none of this makes any sense stop making stop like it's, it's well, just explain why that sucks i know i'm just saying it's nuts the more i use it the more i hate it I will say again, like just if you have a spare afternoon and you truly want to waste some time, look at the first one hundred or two hundred actors that they added to IMDb. Well, they like, do an alphabetical order. Yeah, it's like Fred Astaire. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like it's very clearly just like no, this was an internet forum thread of let's name some guys that got really out mm-hmm. of hand. <laughs> like <laughs> it's very funny. So the only tri- there's so much trivia. I didn't pull a lot of trivia about this because we don't need to know tri- trivia about the movie Titanic. But James Cameron went on twelve dives to the real Titanic himself, and he became obsessed with it. Obviously, the movie cost more than the Titanic did itself in 1997 dollars when this movie came out. The 1.5 million British pounds that it cost to build the strip would have cost about 150 million, and this movie cost 200 million. So <laughs> it's more expensive than the actual boat itself. They developed, as he, I think, does now for just about every movie he does, he developed a deep-sea camera system capable of withstanding 400 atmospheres of pressure at the depth to actually film the Titanic's remains. So, like, Ah, he's just inventing technology to, like, do this stuff. Yep. And the only other thing, and I don't know if this is internet lore or not. Joe, I don't know if you've heard about this. Walt, I'm sure you're familiar with it. But do you know about the PCP and the clam chowder? I do know about the PCP and the clam chowder, yes. And that is true. Is this this real or is it not real? That happened, yeah. Okay. It was a whole So here's thing. a little bit of a long paragraph. <laughs> so here's here's what happened. So on the final night of shooting in Nova Scotia, one or more IMDb calls them criminals mixed PCP, in parentheses, angel dust, into the clam chowder served to the cast and crew. 80 people got sick. 50 were taken to the hospital. 87-year-old Gloria Stewart was fortunately spared because she had dined elsewhere. Oh they my originally God. suspected shellfish poisoning, but when James Cameron saw a crew member demanding to see a priest, the director of photography loading, leaving a conga line, and the AD talking over a walkie-talkie to Cameron while looking right at him, <laughs> he realized the chowder had been spiked with hallucinogenic drugs. In absence of a purging agent, he forced himself to vomit before it took full effect. His bloodshot eyes afterwards frightened other crew members into thinking this was another side effect of the drug. Bill Paxton said he felt listless for weeks after the incident, wow. even though it only lasted a few hours. The culprits were never caught. Some disgruntled crew members who had been fired were suspected, but Cameron himself always believes it was an ex-crew member who had an argument with the caterer and subsequently poisoned the chowder to get the caterer fired as well. That's an insane story. I didn't know that one at all. That's crazy. Also, who has that much PCP that you got like 80 right. people fucked up? How do you get that much PCP in Nova Scotia? Like, yeah, that's what I, that, that's a little, I have logistical questions here more than anything. <laughs> also, the, the disregard that the possibly like old lady could have eaten it is just like, that's what always scares me about like, sp- like even like spiking punch. Like you don't know like what old person could like take a, but PCP, that's like a wild step to make, you know, this mm-hmm. isn't like edibles in the thing. <laughs> like you're getting there, man. Whoo. 
It's it's very funny. So like it was one of those things where I'm like, this is so crazy. Either it has to be true or there's no way it could possibly be true. And so I had heard about it before this, but I'm glad that Walt was able to confirm it. So talk about the movie itself now. Walt, when I gave you the list of movies we were covering for this lap, this is a movie that like everybody's seen, a lot of people love, but you jumped to this immediately. What about this? What's your history with this movie? What do you love about it? Why do you want to talk about it? You and Titanic, wherever you want to begin. So on a personal level, uh, I really like Titanic a lot. Um, Titanic I saw at a rather young age, arguably too young, because my grandmother showed it to me uh, when my parents were out of town and I was just staying with her. Mm. And so it was like a very formative like movie memory. Uh, And like the joke. Yeah. And the joke is, is that like, you know, obviously the scene is like fairly renowned for it having, um, you know, uh, Kate Winslet in in a scene with like, you know, full frontal nudity on that. And uh, and my parents were always just like, how could you do this to it? Like, I mean, it's, I, I'm so shocked that you showed this to like a 10 year old or an 11 year old or whatever mm-hmm, I was. Mm-hmm. And then like, you know, two decades later, I'm getting married to a man in about two months. And so like, it really didn't really, it didn't cause me problems. <laughs> but, um, like, it, it's, uh, it's. It's just a very like nice film for me. It's a film that I think really kind of expanded my doors of understanding of what a movie could be. Um, I think it's like epic in a way that uh, a lot of movies do through violence, but this really just kind of does through its ability to kind of hold your attention to make you care. I think that there's like, and like, cause you know, I've seen this movie a million times. I took some notes while I was watching it. I think that this movie pulls off so many fascinating little magic tricks that mm-hmm. make you care more and more about this and make the movie really mean so much where you like, it, as you, if you're really paying attention, you can see how much of it is setting itself up in a way that it pays off for you in a way that you only subliminally realize. You don't realize it, it consciously totally all the time when you're watching it. But I think that it's just such a well-crafted magic trick that it just has such rewatch value and is such a valuable um like film that i don't know i like i really just kind of come back to it as like it's arguably like the triumph of popular cinema i think that james cameron does stuff with people's attention um that it's it nobody's really kind of done it quite as well since um i think that the fact that this plays to all ages all demos and like yep. everybody still has a place for it um is just something that you really don't see anymore and, and kind of an understanding of what audiences desire and like that um is super rare and i don't know i, I like it also again it looks like he sinks a fucking boat like let's be a hundred percent clear. Yeah. Like the, in any movie today, I like I'm aware of the special effects that are going on. Obviously, they look magnificent, but like you can't watch this movie and like he look. It looks like he just sank a built and sank a boat because that's yes. kind of what yeah. he did. <laughs> like anyway, I know that that's a bit of a ramble, and there's a lot no, to no, no. out there. But like it is just truly, I think like a really powerful film that resonates across lots of generations and i think still has a lot of watch power even after a lot of watches just because if you're really kind of watching what james cameron's doing it is like it is a steel trap like it is it is perfectly constructed in a way that is compelling so you're a little younger than us you didn't see this in theaters on its initial run your grandma showed it on vhs have you seen this in theaters since because they re-released it a couple of times at least I've seen it once in theaters a couple of years ago, um, but it wasn't gotcha. like a big IMAX thing. I would go in a heartbeat yeah. if it was like a, a, any of these kind of large format screens. But yeah, because because I think they made like a big push, I think, last year leading up to Avatar 2. I think there was like a big kind of oh, you're right. release yes. in IMAX or yeah. something, which yes. seemed like a big deal. 
I saw this in theaters when I was like nine. I remember my parents trying to cover my eyes during that scene. And I was like, nope, oh, I'm looking oh. at this. These are my first movie boobs. I'm not going to have you ruin them for me. <laughs> uh, but Joe, did you see this in theaters? What's your, I know. Th- so this was, I also want to let the listeners know, this was Joe's one movie pick this lap. He's like, Titanic. this is my, like, cool. This amazing. Is my pick. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I hadn't seen it in theaters. I was like, I really? think that I was, no, I was just like a hair too young. I mm-hmm. do remember that as soon as the VHS came out, the two VHS set, yeah. um, I got it pretty much like the, oh, like, you know, as soon as it dropped. And for some reason, um, our group of parents in school had just like decided that all of the parents didn't care that there was nudity in the movie. Like they had just come together and they were like, we understand there's nudity in it. But like Walt said, like there was such like a, everybody wanted to see this movie mm-hmm. and it was like so big and everybody that had seen it was like, Hey, it's just a little bit of boobs somewhere. <laughs> so like, it so, like they had all just like kind of like commiserate, like talked amongst themselves and decided that it was okay. So they just like, let me run free with this VHS set. And I was like, this is awesome. So yeah, I think my first experience with it was watching it on the two VHS set. Um, I don't know if I watched it with my parents, maybe the first time I don't remember, but I had watched it a couple times then. And like, I'll put it on in the background, but you know what? This is like probably the first time in a very, very long time that I sat there and like watched and paid attention and watched it the full way through this time. Walt nailed it with the, I can't believe how many movies do you see come out today that have just generational appreciation, right? Like Walt watched it with his grandma. Like you watch it with your parents. You could watch it with your kids. Like it'll still hit every single demo. It's crazy to me that like you, you just don't get movies that that appeal to every single person on the planet like this anymore. No, it, it's James Cameron and Steven Spielberg. And like, that might be the end of the list. Right. And, also and it's not even all of their too. movies. Right. Like it's like, I mean, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like yeah. somebody might be like, Oh, Avatar's not for me or something like Titanic is like every single person is like, yeah. this is it. We'll watch it. By the way, I love the mental image of like a PTA meeting in 1998 where people are taking a vote. <laughs> like, are we just cool with Titanic? Can we just get? Can we just get They're like, fine, it's just a little bit of just, boobs. I saw it. A little bit of boobs. Yeah, just a little <laughs> bit of boobs. That's what I imagine happened. <laughs> like, look, I mean, today with the internet, like people are seeing things that they shouldn't be seeing in a way earlier age and way more graphic. Like, I feel like if you're going to be introduced to boobs at too young of an age, like this is like a this is a perfect do. movie, the perfect movie the, the, for the it. most it's tasteful like, possible way, the most tasteful tender, possible. Way. It's loving. It's, yeah, it's like they don't even critically do important weird. For, the, for the development of this person's life. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Actually, so I had a question written down that, Joe, your uh, two VHS thing reminded me. So this movie is basically okay. bisected almost exactly in half. Like the first half is the boat above water and the second half is the boat sinking. Yes. Um, do you guys have a preference between if you're able to even to, to distinguish? Do you have a favorite half? Do you like when the boat when things are going well or when things Ooh. are going poorly? I honestly forgot how like actually gruesome Mm. the second half is um i'll take the first half it's like fun and whimsical and she like for me like i like the like the second half is very important but like i could do away with the second half and pulling at the heartstrings at the end and stuff like that like blah 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 we could skip through that for me yeah this is a good question because like like this is what i mean like the one of the magic tricks that he pulls off is that like literally as they like you know, they, they, they have this wonderful chase. They, you know, make out and, and hook up and, and, you know, they're in the car and then they're coming yeah. out and they're flirting and all that kind of stuff. And you forget that they're on the Titanic and then the boat hits an you iceberg. Do. I made a like, note of that. And yeah. that's like, the, that is a 
absolutely shocking thing that should not be possible to pull off on the movie Titanic that he makes you forget that these people are on the Titanic until they're on the Titanic. And I think that that's the yeah. Sorry, you, Joe, you the la- no, no. The last time that I experienced that exact thing was watching Band of Brothers, and then they show up at the end, and I'm like, oh shit, concentration camps. You yeah. know, like th- like it's like wild that you just like you're so in- encased in what's happening around you that you just like totally forget what the actual point of the whole thing was like it's crazy yeah it completely makes you think that you're in, like it, and like that's nuts like and so i would say my favorite is the second half and mm. we can get to some of this more later but like that is when i think that like the first half is excellent and it's whimsical and it's fun and it's on its own it's it's, it's a fantastic movie i think the second half of this movie is when all of the promises made in the first half come to fruition and mm-hmm. the feeling of watching Absolutely that happen fair is is just is it's it's otherworldly you know i think so when i was so okay the other day for the first time i watched piranha 2 the spawning aka piranha 2 flying killers much better title but this if you don't know is james cameron's first movie came out in 1982 a sequel to the movie piranha uh it's not good but it's fun um and I was like, man, this guy loves water because like yeah. Avatar two was Two, all way water, of water. Titanic, yeah. And he also did the abyss. Like he does like and so I'm thinking, like, man, this guy just loves water. And then what what you said, like when I was watching this, like there are scenes like where they're having breakfast or they're just doing things, and there's not even water in the background. It's just like they're in a room and it's just like, oh right, like this is all on a boat. Like it just seems like they're like in in London town or like, yeah. in New York somewhere, but like they're on a boat the entire time. And it was wild to me that like you always like sort of in your body somewhere your mind somewhere know that you're on the water but like for most of the first half like not really part of the plot and then it's just like oh wait no like now like the water is very much the plot and like we are all going down in a hurry the only time that you really have to think about the water there are three moments one is when jack looks at the dolphins at the front of the bow Mm-hmm. Uh, the front of the yes. battle is the very first. That's like the, oh, look, there's water down there. The second is when she's about to fall off and that's a moment of peril yep. and we're kind of concerned. And like the water is like, you know, there, but it's not like, you know, an ocean. And then obviously you have the, the you know, I'm flying moment. And then that's the only yes. time in the first half of the movie that they truly acknowledge that they are on water. The entire rest of the film could take place in a fucking hotel and it, it would be the Pretty same much. film. Because, like, what's yeah. what you know, it's not their fault. I'm not blaming Jack and Rose for crashing the Titanic, but like, the people are even watching them instead of watching for icebergs. And they're like, oh shit, the water. And then, like, oh no, there's the iceberg, right? But like, they're they're like us watching these two, like, make out on under, underneath yeah. or whatever. And then they look up, they're like, oh, right, we're on water and something bad is about to happen. Yeah, I do think it's their fault that the, I think that that's an implication that is genuinely made by James Cameron and we should address it. But um, yeah, no, it's again, like people are getting caught up in it, you know, and you think that the adversary is Hockley and Hockley's uh, bodyguard or Pinkerton or whatever you want to call him or, or, you know, the social structures. And then the um, the bad guy becomes pretty obvious and it is it is the water that's moving very quickly. Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will once again say I think this movie is just about perfect as as IMDb or as Rotten Tomatoes called it. It is a mostly unqualified <laughs> triumph. I do want to take it to task though because I think for a movie this majestic, for this epic, operatic, whatever adjective you want to throw at it, this title card sucks. It's so boring. It's just plunked in there. There's no flair in the font. We watched RRR this lap that has like a 55 minute delayed title card that rules. There's all these other one, the bullet train we just did a couple weeks ago, like that rules. Like there's all these different movies that really specifically drop in a title card and here just like Titanic. And I'm like, Mm, doesn't work for me. The font's boring. Disagree. The placement's boring. You you disagree? I will disagree because I Go think because I think that the title card is doing something 
Good. I think that if the title card comes up and it's frilly and majestic and it's 1910 splendor and it's gorgeous mm-hmm. and it's everything that this movie becomes and then it immediately goes to the beginning of the movie, you're just like, well, what the hell was that? I think that the that the film that you are first introduced to, obviously there's a framing story of some grungy guys who are trying to rob a grave and just, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that you you have to ease into that. And so like like the the title card that you're given is actually the movie that you're first presented, which is a movie about uh, a guy named Brock who is trying to find a diamond on the Titanic. And then it lulls you into that sense of security over the course of that first half. And then on only then are you like transported back. And so like the true title card of the movie Titanic is not that first title card of the movie Titanic. It's when you see the fucking Titanic and you see Titanic yeah, on fair. the side. Ah, that's the title card. That's very fair. I was just thinking, like, in a very, like, they wouldn't do this, and I don't actually want this, but, like, imagine if when they hit that iceberg, then the title card drops, like, oh, man, that's a mic drop Oh, like, ooh, that's, that's hour 40 good. in, mm, beautiful. Also, Joe's not going to get this reference, Walt, you might, I, when, when uh, Bill Paxson's on there as Brock Lovett, all I could think was Paul F. Tompkins doing Brock Lovett on Comedy Bang yep, Bang, no, loving Wet Treasure. I love Joe, that. One of the one of the most common guests on Comedy Bang Bang is this guy Paul F. Tompkins. He does like a lot of different characters. But one of them he just does Brock Lovett. Like most of them are kind of fictional, but he just does this guy. He does Brock Lovett, and he just <laughs> loves Wet Treasure. And so every time I see him on this movie, I'm just like, it's not Paul, but it's kind of Paul. And man, it makes me happy. It's it's joy. It's really good. Uh, I really it's. Cause again, like you get a little glimpse of him. It's just like, ah, oh, yeah, he made his money in pirate wrecks. And it's just like, wow, what a guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm-hmm. He looks like a guy who made his money in pirate wrecks. You know what I mean? He so. definitely does. He definitely does. The other nit that I want to pick with this, and then we can do like a love fest or whatever, is that it does a thing I hate when movies do. And I know other people have had issues with this, but when Cal insults Picasso, oh, he yeah. won't amount to a thing. Trust me. Or like when later they're like, Freud, is that a passenger on the ship? It's like, guys, like don't like stop being like James Cameron specifically. Stop being cute. Like we know that like who these people are. This it's a- like in Oppenheimer. Where I like, was going to say, this is a big gripe you had with Oppenheimer. <laughs> where they're like, yeah, I know where you're one of the guys say. who voted against it was this guy, this young upstart Senator, John F. Kennedy. It's just like, oh, fuck, God damn it. Like, we know. <laughs> yeah. That's not how you would deliver the news. We know. But God damn it. I think that, again, I think that that's a valid concern because I also experienced that viscerally during both Oppenheimer and Titanic. Mm-hmm. I think if instead of Picasso or something, it was Pablo or something, then that mm. you would have been able to get away with. Um, I think that he didn't believe in his audience enough to get it then. And so he just had to. Yeah. That's get... always the answer, right? You just like are dumbing it down for the audience and you're like, come on, man. Like we all would have got this anyway. Yeah. So I, I, I'm with you. That's 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 a very good nitpick that I stand by. It just by. feels lazy, right? Like it's yeah. just kind of like a corny cop out. I think, it, again, I think he doesn't believe in his audience enough. Like. Or to Joe's point, he's making this for literally everyone, and like you can't assume that everyone's going to yes. know Picasso. You're going to only assume true. like three quarters of people. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Um, before we talk about the things that we love, is there anything else, Joe? Anything specific you want to point out that you don't like about this, or no? We do see a lot of people gruesomely dying, which I get that he's trying to convey the point, but at the same time, like not remembering it and then watching all of these people just like one by one get picked off at the mm-hmm. end was like kind of shocking to me. There's a thing that I don't like, but I kind of do like it. it. It's like a twist. Is it? It's that Leonardo DiCaprio's character sounds like he's from 2000 in this movie a lot. Like, well, just he, his delivery, like his I jokes. Think doesn't think he's very good in this movie. Like, he looks back at this and says, "Like, I did a lousy job in that movie." 
but he just he's just not playing a time like he's not mm. playing a person of the time. He's playing El Cap at whatever age he was at the time that happens to be stumbled upon the Titanic. You know what I mean? So like so I was like watching, I was like, this doesn't fit, but it's also kind of charming in a weird way that he just was like, yeah, like no accent, no nothing. Like I'm just doing it. So the I guess that's the like a mild criticism I have. I, I have two critiques and they're fairly light ones. One is that uh, Fabrizio, the Italian guy, is yes. a little bit is not. I don't think that's. I don't think that's my favorite performance of 1997. I don't. I think that that might be, um, like, I don't he think a it's a really Mario. good Italian. <laughs> it's a little bit of Mario, yes. Yeah, right. Like this, it's, it is definitely for sure. But on the same sense, then you contrast that with um with El Cap doing like his just like New York, I guess, or whatever, yeah. and then you're like, oh, they're like so different and like weird of but even choices. like even like the new york even the irish guy like that's a convincing irish guy like it just felt like the, yes, the italian 100%. guy was a little bit out of like just a little bit too much you know marinara on it uh the yes. <laughs> other one that i that the other one that i like is like you know i know that we talked a little bit about jack and that's you know kind of the the low-hanging fruit but the 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 greatest stud in this film is obviously victor garber who plays the guy who built the ship uh, whose name mm. is Thomas, I think. Um, and mm. the th- the only issue that I have is number one, great performance. Number two, it's just a little weird how often he's hanging out with Rose, and it's a little often mm. like it's a little peculiar how he's like, "That's right, Rose, you did the sums in your head, well done." Like it, I don't think that they do enough work to adequately convey why um, these random aristocrats from from the United States are friendly with an uh, what I believe to be an Irish shipbuilder who was involved in developing this particular thing. It just doesn't seem like the kind of relationship that would pre-exist. Yeah, yeah I think that's true. fair. Very fair. That's sometimes like, I, I had the feeling sometimes while watching, I think they even comment on it in Lost. It's like, why does everything happen to these same eight people? <laughs> like, it's just like, well, because they're the ones we're following. But like, I think when they had like the Nikki and Paolo episode, they're like, you guys keep going off on adventures. We're stuck here at the beach. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, but like, we can't, we can't tell a story about 40 people. Like, whatever. <laughs> Um, also, Joe, to your point about the grizzly, like, I forgot when the officer shoots and kills that man, then kills himself. I'm just like, Jesus, like, yes. like a man, like, take care of other That's people. That's what like, I'm you're saying. You're only causing more issues here, but yeah, boy, oh, boy. It, it was, it was the whole propeller things for me. Like, I, like, I remembered it was coming, like, it's a pretty good shot. jumps off the back and then hits the propeller and then bounces. I was like, oh man, I forgot. Like, I remembered it was coming, but not like that. Yeah, it just articulates and heightens the danger, baby. It like it reminds like no, yeah, it, the does. That, it does, it yeah. does. Yeah, he's like no, this is dire. People are dying. Like, and that's and it. And you're right. Like you were saying with the setup, like when he like tells the fun time story of how it happened to her at the beginning of the movie, and she's like, yeah, well, it happened a little different than that mm-hmm. when I was there, right? Like it's it's the same payoff that you're getting there. So, I I can see why it's done and and like it's good. It was just like, oh man, I forgot how much there was in here. So with all of that out of the way, what's your? Do you have a favorite scene in the movie, Walt, or favorite moment, or favorite interaction, favorite or favorite anything? Scene. Wow, this is good. Um, I mean, or like, or when you think of this movie, like, what do you think of? I definitely think of. Wow, what a good question. Uh, like, I think the one that works the best for me is there's that dinner scene where Jack is put on the spot. He isn't. He has no idea what he's getting yes. into. Molly Brown sees that he looks like a deer in the headlights, even though they didn't have headlights then and probably had a lot of the deer. Uh, and she basically takes him aside, you know, does a nice thing. And like, I think, you know, takes a bet on him. And I think that like th- the dinner scene kind of gets like 
people are very much paying attention to like, oh, the aristocrats are being mean to Jack and Jack is trying to, mm-hmm. you know, articulate himself and, and equate himself. And I think that like, if you watch it normally and like, you're not really kind of paying attention, you just kind of see that being like, oh, like they're having an argument. But like, I think if you genuinely kind of listen to what Jack is saying in that scene and like, he actually espouses his philosophy of just being like, listen, mm-hmm. like life is, you got to take it day by day. Like there's something about that that I think is the entire crux of what Rose is about to embark on. And it's easy to miss because it's just like a dinner conversation. But like the thesis that he argues for over the course of dinner is the like, you know, you you do you do your life is not on a railroad track. Your life you can do whatever you want with it. You can do adventures and you give up this thing. It might, it might not be worth it, but you'll have to make some sacrifices, but you'll be happier in the end. And I think that like that is such a crucial thing that like even though if you don't consciously appreciate that's what he's articulating the thesis of the film, like your brain does. And the like there's like a really like there's two moments in the movie that I think are just like essentially where rose makes her decisions and they're both kind of the same shot where it's just like a big full-on shot of her face and one of them takes place a moment after that scene where basically jack has given her the like say hey meet me here at this time and make a count yeah rose just kind of looks at a girl like a very young girl who's like folding a napkin and is very much she probably you know sees herself in her or like this rigid system that kind of forces people into this aristocratic life and deprives them of choices and then like there's like a full like it really just cameras on winslet for a little bit and you can tell that something has changed as a result of this dinner and this interaction and like, I just think that that is like one of the Rosetta Stones for this movie that it's just like, OK, no, like this is a story about how somebody can help you become the person that you need to become. And that was like the first step that she took to doing that. Love it. That's Beautiful. awesome. Yeah. Joe, I like the scene. Joe, immediately. It up. No, I was going to say, <laughs> I like the scene immediately after that, that they show you that like the aristocracies try like they think that they're having fun by having these dinner parties and stuff like that he's like you want to see a real party (laughs) and then she gets to have like experience real joy and happiness in like a place that like you wouldn't you wouldn't they act like it doesn't exist in yeah he delivers yeah like he delivers but like you see them and they're like oh they they're they may be poor but like they're having way more fun than everybody upstairs was like these people are like genuinely happy they look happy they're smiling she laughs she smiles which you didn't see in the whole dinner scene so i don't know if i have like a favorite part overall i it's it's like a a bunch of tiny pieces of Leonardo DiCaprio being very, very charming. Like what I'm thinking of in my head is um, when he shows her like the drawings for the first time and she's like, Oh, who is that? He's like, Oh, she was a one legged prostitute. You know, like it's just like, it's such a funny real answer. And like, he just delivers it well. And they both seem surprised at it. And like, they have good chemistry and I like that part of it. So I think like Leonardo DiCaprio's character is probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. There is a moment, well, we did this on, I was a guest on Wistful Thinking when that show was still around, they covered this, and both of them, Kara and Jordan, who both been on the show, uh, got lost while recording the podcast because they were just watching a gif of him toying the cigarette around his mouth. He was like, like, it was, yes, he was yeah, like, yeah, he's yeah. like mouthing a cigarette and like they looped the gif so like it perfectly just like endlessly, it's just him. And just like, even like not speaking, just like embodying Jack, they're just like, this is, captivating yeah um one of my favorite scenes i don't know if it's my favorite scene but i love the scene where he's teaching her how to spit off the side of the boat because like that's like, oh, kind of, like the first yeah. crack in her veneer he just, and she like has like a really terrible spit and he's like no come on like actually spit and like as she actually spits like all the people that she knows and like would look down on her for this like walk by her and i just i think it's like that's like the first 
transition from her being like aristocratic to not or whatever. And I just think that that like very simple like, hey, let's split up because what's more fun than spinning off the side of a boat? Nothing. Like, it just, just every time I'm on the edge of a boat, that's the first thing I want to do, right? Mm-hmm. It's crazy. This is what I'm saying. Where like this movie is perfect. It's a steel trap because why is that mm-hmm. scene so necessarily important? It's because you know in Act One, Jack teaches her how to spit. And then in Act 3, when Hockley tries to grab her, what does she do? But she actually spits directly in his face. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, she's the one who chose to do that, and she's the one who has the power to do it, and she's the one who, like, did the action, and she wasn't being saved by it. But, like, Jack showed her the manner in which she could be saved, and, you know, the lesson that she picks up in Act 1 becomes a really pivotal moment for her in, in Act 3. And, I just, and the movie's just, it, it, like, again, I have a list of them. We, I will read them later. It is just, like, this movie is such an elegant thing, where so much of the payoff in Act is just clearly laid just coursing through the veins of this movie which is hilarious because joey and i talk about this all the time we watch a lot of movies that will set up a premise that just goes nowhere and dies but like you're right like every single one of these has a payoff at the end it's crazy yeah it's become like a running joke and like something that people don't think i'm serious about but they're like what's your favorite movie i'm like it might be paddington too they're like why like because everything that movie does sets up or pays off like every single thing gets like it's just like this is how you do it you tell a story well like it's like they're not just doing this because like she's not just learning to swim because like that's a character trait like she's learning to swim because at the end of the movie she has to swim and do a thing right like it's just yeah. all these different things and like that's the difference between like a good movie and not a good movie and like we watch a lot of good movies but like joe's saying we also watch a lot of movies that are not very <laughs> yes. good and it's just you know you can tell when people know how to tell a story and craft and a story yeah don't really i also do like and normally i don't like this but i just think it's funny the way that she delivers it um that like i don't really care what happens to fictional characters after the movie ends but she's just like oh yeah you know cal got married again and then the stock market hit and he put a bullet and he put a gun in his mouth and just like oh like that's a very like grisly end but like you know cal sucks so like sure yeah she know, was like fuck him I, because yeah. she goes like, or so I heard, which is like, obviously mm-hmm. you checked in on this bastard and yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you didn't relish it. You didn't flinch at the obituary. <laughs> like, Whatever the 1929 version of Facebook is like, let me look up my ex-boyfriend. Oh, he obituaries. Just <laughs> yeah, it's okay. obituaries. <laughs> That's what it was. I, I, I have a question that I want to ask, but to get there, I want to run down. So like, Walt, as we're going through, we're, we're cataloging the non-car vehicles. Yes, yes. The movies. So I have a few different ones. Obviously, there's the titular Titanic. But Joe, what other ones did you notice in this movie? Because I have a question about one in particular when we get to it. But what other ones did you see in this movie? And if you missed any, maybe walk fill in the gaps. I I think you got the boat that Bill Paxton's on. Mm Mm-hmm. You got his submarine. Well, oh, I, yeah. I was calling it a submersible because of the, the submersible. It's sorry, a, it's yeah, a, it's a, a submers- you know, t- recent events. And then whatever the thing that has the claws is, I think I count mm-hmm. that too, but it's a little mm-hmm. bit different than what they're in because it's not transporting people. The ROV, mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah, that, yes. Um, helicopter. And then, mm-hmm. uh, the helicopter. Yes, C-plane. they fly in yep. with the helicopter. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and then then it was cars for me. What else did you get? What did I miss this time? My question by? is, is a car that's on a boat a different kind of vehicle? Only if you're using it for sex. Mm-hmm. That that is a, that's maritime law. <laughs> I felt worried for them when he honks the horn. I'm like, dude, that's so loud. In here. <laughs> like you're gonna get found out. Yeah, Joey, just... what you're forgetting is that they're running on steam engengines, and like the whole boat is probably just. Loud <laughs> it's mostly honks. Fuck. It's just how boats move. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's just like the whole thing. <laughs> also, they are literally like one hour from all dying, so like I think it's gonna be okay. Yeah. But I think it's all the vehicle, like because I, I I was there wasn't that many. No, there's I like lo- the cars that they well, pull there's up the lifeboats and the Carpathia. 
Oh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The well, that's another thing. Like we have, we thought we had an idea for what counts as a vehicle, and we have sure. realized we have no idea, and we're not going to okay. Google it because people are like just Google it. Yeah, there's an answer. But how would you, without looking it up, how would you dis- define or describe a vehicle? What counts as a vehicle? What's not? You're going to do the like. What's the ancient Greek philosopher that was like, "Behold a man," and held up a chicken after being described like two legs and talks. Um, mm-hmm. What is a vehicle? I think it is a. Like, is is a, a we don't have vehicle. an answer. We're not going to like scam you at the end. Is a skimboard a vehicle? Yes. A, a surfboard or skateboard? Yes. Those are, is skateboard categorically a vehicle. Surfboard is a vehicle. Um, I think a vehicle is a means of conveyance. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that uh, a zipline is a vehicle. Conveyance is a good word. We've used transportation before, mm-hmm. but conveyance is, is a good and word. I was going to yes. throw this out here because, again, it's only in photographs, but I think a horse is a vehicle. We've we've tried it. We've well, tried it, yeah. Well, when we watched RRR, Joe said, does one of them carrying the other on his shoulders count as a vehicle? I'm like, I like Piggyback it. rides. Wow. I mean, that's... But no, because a vehicle can't drive a vehicle. Mm, but it's ah. not... But is, is getting a... Are you a vehicle if you're getting a ride on a piggyback? No, you just have that's the potential what you're to be a vehicle, but that's not a vehicle. Hmm. Did you wait? Did you mention? Did you say zipline? Zipline's a vehicle. I think a zipline's a vehicle. I think if I think a zipline's a vehicle, if a tram is a vehicle, and if a ski lift is a vehicle, then I think that by uh... nature, wire adjacent vehicles ought to be considered a, a class in and of themselves. I mean, like uh, you know, clearly gondolas. I, even like you know, you don't even need to be. Like I think dirigibles and blimps are vehicles very obviously, and so I don't think that there's inherently a need for mediation with the ground. And so, ergo, I think that if the means of propellant is is you know a winch on one end of a thing, then of course, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, fairly open minded. Conveyance propellants, those are good words. Those, is a that, funicular that really a vehicle? Conveyance obviously, helps. a funicular is a vehicle, right? And so, yes. Yeah. We have we have got, we faced pushback from listeners and from other guests that they're just like that's not a vehicle. I'm like these need to be vehicles, otherwise movies that we're covering don't count. And I need a bicycle or whatever to be a vehicle, and they're like it's not. I'm like well it is. So you are I think like us the most open minded when it comes to what could be a vehicle. Like yeah. Joe and I fight about every single thing on this podcast except for this. We're both like yes, everything's a vehicle. Yeah. Pretty much people, everything. I think and people it, are like no, the, it has to be able to contain a person. It, 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 you know, it has to be able to convey a person from one area to another. And I think it has to have an explicit purpose or an intention to be that. So, for instance, like if you are, um, I don't know, in a kung fu movie and you fall on a shingle and you skateboard down or like if Legolas ah. rides a shield on a thing, that's not a vehicle. That's improvisational thing. Making something okay. that is not a vehicle. Very fair. Or a video, a vehicle. I think that there has to be an intent for it. And I would count horses for this, even Ugh. though they are animals. But He's... like I is a fireman's pole a vehicle? No, because a fireman's pole is mediation, mediating your relationship with gravity. And as a result, a fireman's mm. like is a parachute a vehicle? I don't think so, because I think a parachute is gravity a vehicle. No, no, but but now like you have like a, a sail, like a wind sail, like a like a what's the thing that you fly on that you like hold? A power, it looks yeah, but that's designed to get you a specific place. Where like you know, a parachute is designed to like get you down in a manner that is safe. I believe I would take okay. parachute as a vehicle. By the way, I mean I'm not super married to that. A parachute's not a vehicle because a parachute can be the thing that slows down a spacecraft. Which is a vehicle. So the parachute is a, is a feature. So ah. what, what I'm picking up from your description here is that vehicles allow you to go horizontally. If it only allows you to go vertically, it's not. Like, that's gravity. So, like, parachute goes down. Bungee jump, no. Bungee jump, no. Because bungee jump, in the best case scenario, you end back exactly where you start. Exactly. 
I dig it. I'm, we made some grounds here. Good. I like this. this. Is conveyance. Yeah. Conveyance propellance. Anyway, back to the fifth highest film of all time. <laughs> you mentioned her before. Is it down to five already? I actually I, I, Well, Endgame. Avatar and Avatar, Avatar 2. Avatar 2. Uh, Endgame. Is Infinity War? No, uh, Force Awakens beat it, no? I don't think. Maybe in the... Hold on. All time. Worldwide. Top lifetime grosses. Number five, Force Awakens. Oh. So there's six There's six at two billion. Okay. Infinity War at 2052. Uh-huh. Force Awakens, 2071. Then there's a big jump up. Titanic at 2264. Oh, wow. And there's oh. another... The then there's another sort of sizable to Avatar 2, then a very big jump up to Endgame at 2799, and then another sort of sig- significant guy. jump up to Avatar 2923. Sick. Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. Dark Horsey kind of. Barbie at 14 at 1427. I think Barbie's, I mean, Barbie already has legs. They're not putting Barbie out in 4K until February. This thing's not leaving that's theaters. Nuts. Like, that's yeah. Wow. That's going to creep toward two. I don't know if it's going to hit two, but like, it might it might pass Jurassic World in eighth at one six seven one become eighth all time. Yeah, I could see it. I, I take that bet. I'm I'm on board. Very cool. Can we talk? You mentioned her before in the dinner scene, but Kathy Bates does not have a huge role in this movie, but she's so good in this movie. No small as parts. Unsinkable Molly Brown. Unsinkable Molly Brown. I it, when I as soon as I got the the um, Leonardo DiCaprio is one of my favorite actors parts of this movie. I like. I was thinking, fuck! I can't believe I missed saying Molly Brown is one of the best parts mm-hmm. of this movie too. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. She's great in every scene. Uh, she I, again, like, I think that she's like, you know, very much like none of this movie is about somebody saving Rose, and I think that's kind of the the thing that you have to buy into about this movie is that like she's actively choosing to save herself in a lot of this. And so much mm-hmm. of it is, is just like just a few people around her. Who's really helping her get there. And paramount obviously is Jack. But I think that like, you know, if you ask Jack, who was the one who helped you most over the course of your time on Titanic, he would absolutely say Brown, you know, I think so too. Cause I feel like she sees him as a person when nobody else kind of does like Rose does after he saves her. But like, even that's kind of like a victim of circumstance. Like Molly Brown's like, no, like you're a, you're a per like just because you're poor doesn't mean you're not you're not a person, right? Yeah. So Well, she's new money, so she she has the experience of being poor. Do you guys like this is not the Molly Brown thing, but do you like the framing device of elderly Rose beginning and end and sort of dropping in narration throughout? Because I kind of go both ways on it. Like I'm I kind of like it and I also like don't need the voiceover sort of speckled throughout. Like it sometimes works and sometimes doesn't for me. The beginning and end, the bookmarking it, I'm mm-hmm. down with. Uh, the middle, like the pausing to to revert back, I don't know how I feel about either, Joey. But like, okay. if you just had the beginning and the end to just cap both sides of it, I would I would say like, yes, I absolutely love it. Uh, I think I disagree. I think that 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 she's used expertly and judiciously, and like the thing, she is, yeah. Like the thing that I come back to is like you know. Uh, my view on this movie is that there's like a few moments where Rose makes a choice and that is basically the choice that will define the rest of her life. And like one of them is at the dinner scene. The another one that kind of comes to mind is um, I think the one that you're referring to, which is again, after the, the drawing scene, um, it kind of zooms back out to the middle and reminds us that this is a, an older lady telling a, a group of approximately mm-hmm, 14 mm-hmm. people uh, about her most erotic moment of her life. But I think that that moment's, like really important just because I think it really reminds us that like 
the movie really only works because it's a movie about Rose. And the reason that that I think that that is so Fair. important is that like it reminds us of like the first big linchpin of this movie was this drawing. And I think that the drawing is such an important element of the movie. And I don't want to get too far ahead, but like I think that the existence of the drawing is why Rose throws the heart of the ocean into the ocean uh, because she, like because like you know from her perspective again like she talks about at the end of the film about like listen like nobody ever knew his name nobody ever knew he was there there was no evidence that this guy existed the only thing that he existed in it was my memory and also because i had this locket this locket reminded me that this brother this gem was like the only living benefit the only manifestation i had of that experience at that time that connected me back to jack and then all these years later, when she's in her 80s, after living the full life that she had always promised Jack that she would live, she sees finally this ir- irrevocable illustration that not only did this man exist, not only did this experience happen, but immortalizing the moment that she, in her own mind, basically says that this is when I became a woman rather than just a foolish aristocratic girl. And so it it takes and affirms what had just kind of been like, yeah, no, this happened to me. This is definitely an important moment to me, even though I have no proof of it, even though I've never told anybody about it, this is really the, the most important, you know, access day of my life. Um, and it makes it physical and real again. And in telling the story again, Jack is able to live again. And after that, and she doesn't need the heart of the ocean anymore. Who needs the rock anymore? Yeah. Because, it, because it, like, I think that, oh. again, like, the, the, the rock appearing in that painting is, you know, for, you know, for her, it's just like, oh, no, like, this genuinely happened to me. And this, this most important event in my life, just even though I have no evidence for it, even though it prompted me to completely throw out what would have been a pretty cushy existence, not only happened, not only is the most real thing in the world to me, but is actually real to everyone around us. And that's like the, like the existence of that, you know, little portrait is I think like the moment of the film and the moment when you see her, like the first thing that she asks when she gets on the boat is I'd like to see my portrait, please. And then mm. the mo- the only moment that you back out of the Titanic story and the framing story again is when the portrait's being done. And it's clear that the portrait, portrait is like the a thing that has fundamentally altered her perspective on what titanic was and what it meant for her that's that's nuts yeah i've never thought about that before that you just wow blew my mind that it makes perfect perfect sense i yeah I, again like i think like you know there's always the joke of like why did she throw the billion dollar rock in the ocean the answer is just like it meant nothing at a certain point what meant well, the, the important thing was the photo and the memory yeah yeah the, the holding on to the memory of it yeah because i mean you you know even like stuff that you think about five years ago you're like did did that really happen like did is it did it happen like that and then like if you see the picture and you're like oh shit no there's confirmation this isn't just my hallucinations on the the uh door that i was sitting on and there's nothing there's no evidence of jack because obviously there's he wasn't on the manifest there was no there would be no physical she couldn't even go to a great like there was no there was nothing that she could do to verify that this happened beyond the fact and the truth that she knew in her heart and seeing that confirmation on the news all those years later was enough you know i will say related to this but also unrelated to all of this one other trivia that i saw that i really liked was that gloria stewart who is simply credited as old rose yeah was 86 years old when they made this movie and she was pissed because they put her in old age makeup to look make her look 100 and i think she was just like look i'm aren't aren't i old, old is not enough <laughs> um but she you know because rose in the timeline of this movie is supposed to be 100 so they like put a little bit of old age makeup and then gloria stewart uh lived to 100 and she passed away in 2010 but at 100 that's years awesome old, so she, what a she life played 100 then lived to 100 so shout out to gloria stewart who also in the invisible man as flora and the old dark house like she has been around for like 
she was acting since like the thirties, which is crazy. But uh, my understanding was that she was like very much a journeyman career and like had success back in the old days and like very much had a later in life surge, which I think is very nice. So I love that. Yeah. We, we definitely love the second, the revival of like actors and stuff like that coming back. It's super cool. I also want to talk about, um, the Celine Dion of it all, because I don't really have an opinion on that song one way or the other. Like, I think it's unqualified. I want to talk about this too. It's it's very good, but I also, all I can think about, I mean, I think it also works as like the sort of the, the through line throughout, like you hear, you hear the instrumental and like, that's like their love song. But I also remember back to the summer of 97 and the far, like the not summer, but like the, hit the, us the winter it. of 97 and like all of 98 when like the only thing we would listen to is the radio because that was like, you know, in the car, right? Yeah. And you could not listen to any radio station any for more station. than 45 <laughs> minutes without hearing the song. Like, any it station. Was everywhere, all the time, for months. And even the best song ever written, that ad nauseum, will drive you a little crazy. But like that was, like this movie was enormous, but I feel like somehow weirdly, like that song was even more of a presence in my It was life. huge. And I was going to ask you, like, how you felt about the through line, because watching it this time, I forgot that, like, every instrumental in this movie is just some version of My Heart Will Go On. Like, at all times. It's, it's just, just like, a slowed down. A, it's backwards. Yeah. It, the score was written first, and then the song was written based on the Horner score, I believe. There was a whole thing of the ringer about how the song came together, I think, a few years ago. Oh, And, like, okay. basically, like, that, that like, the hymn of the sea, like, note was adapted into the song by Celine. Um, ah. but again, like you're not wrong. Like it is like, it's a cohesive musical package. Um, it, it's, it's, it's intentional, I would say, but, um, I think that it's I, something to marvel at, like the, the, the idea of just like, like having the through line song, we talk about movie songs all the time, like a song that was made for a movie or a song that was made with a movie and things like that. Like that's awesome. And like, I have to respect it for that, but Joey's right. It did play fucking everywhere <laughs> at all times for, for months and months and months. Like, it was kind of annoying. But, I mean, I get it. But it's also like, come on, guys. What are we doing here? We were at an age where it just gets bang. Like, it was like, you know, like, it's a non-offensive song. Like, you're, like, like people developing their idea of romance. Like, it was just like, oh, my God. It's everywhere. And it won't go away. Yeah. But now, it doesn't bother me. That's I like great. it. I think it's a good song. I think the key change is amazing. Like, I think it's great. And, like, even, yes. if, you, even if you don't love it, you're going to love watching, like, basketball clips set to it at some point. Like, it's good. <laughs> like, Oh, so. my God. Yes, dude. That's my favorite. The sports. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Sports. There was sports a memes. sports lean or something. Yeah. But um, either way, I, again, I think it, it holds up. Again, you're going to get tired of stuff. I Like, you know, you see this all the time frozen hamilton like the, when the songs get too popular they like i'm burned out on much of those but i feel like in 20 years yeah. they'll still be pretty good so like you know like there's a, they'll still be good yeah, yeah. another thing i want to comment on because we talk about this this is also like a common thing that pops up in the letterbox game which we'll play later but joe never remembers i'm like this is tied for the most academy award nominations of all time you're like i don't know terminator it's like no not terminator it's there's like three movies it's like titanic and it's like return of the king and then maybe now everything everywhere but this is According to IMDb, at least, the movie with the most nominations, 14, to not win any acting nominations. Kate Winslet and Gloria Stewart for Young Rose and Old Rose are both nominated, did not win. Wow. It won 11 of the other 12, though. The only other one that it did not win was Best Makeup, but it mm. won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Set Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, Best Sound Effects Editing, Best Visual Effects best original song and best original score. So like it basically swept, but they're just like the acting. Mm, not sure. Yeah. That's a weird choice for them to like 
else the who won actress that year it was it's also very it's an ensemble film and i think like you know even leo can see that he's not at his best so i i don't think that i'd expect something from him it is very much a technical marvel and so i like i don't i don't hate that um i will say obviously I think the two nominations that they did get in acting are the best performances in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's tough to kind of figure out, well, who else would you put up there? I think that Victor Garber potentially, but again, like the material that he's kind of given is a little bit wooden, you know? So I like, I, I think that I agree. It doesn't seem wrong to me is, is what I'd get across. So if Victor Garber was nominated, he would have lost to ostensibly Robin Williams and Goodwill Hunting, which I feel yeah. like is that's okay. that seems good. Yeah, that's a pretty that's clean fair. L. Helen Hunt won best leading for As Good as It Gets. That's a good okay. performance. And then Kim Basinger won best supporting for LA Confidential. That's a good performance too. Yeah. I do you know the only the, the other performance that I will shout out is Frances Fisher as uh Ruth uh Rose's mom. I think that she does like yeah. I think that could be a very basic role and I think that the the script itself isn't necessarily giving her a ton to work with be- besides like the problem so to speak. Um Fair. Yeah. but I think that she really puts in depth there particularly in the back half. Uh when it comes to like oh no the decisions that I have made have come to haunt me and I will live with this for the rest of my life. And I think that she does very very good work particularly uh in, in like act 3 when it comes to you know reaping what she has sown speaking of her mom and names and generations i have a question for both of you because i know i should hate this and yet almost every time it does it fills me with emotion it happened at the end of the rise of skywalker which we don't have to get into if you don't want to get into but the end of rise of skywalker they're like what's your name and she goes ray ray star wars no she says ray skywalker (laughs) and here they're like you know after she like hides from cal as he's walking by the guy who's like doing the census is like, what's your name? She goes, Dawson, Rose Dawson. It's like, that's not your name. But like, I still really like that moment. Like, I think it's like, it's a very sim- symbolic and like, it's corny again, but I'm wondering what you guys think of like, is that too on the nose? Is that too corny or too trite or whatever? Or is it just like, I don't give a shit. It makes me cry a little bit. Like, that's fine. Not in the tone of this movie. All of it's corny in a yeah. lovely way. I, yeah. I love it. Like I don't, I don't fault any of these things. It's so also for me, no. It's the fulfillment of the promise that she made on the on the on the on the door. Uh, it's like, yeah, no, like I will take the thing that you have given me, and and I will strike out on my own. And you know, I, I think that in the moment it makes a lot of sense in terms of like if you were looking to you know take on a new identity, the moment that you immigrate back to America is a pretty good moment to do that. Um, but at the yeah. same time, it's just like it's like this is also it's on my list of like things that you pick up when you watch it again it's like they tell you everything that's going to happen in the first like five minutes in the movie in a way that you don't appreciate until the end which is like again they'll literally they literally describe exactly how the sinking goes down with the simulation and then the sinking goes down exactly like that they tell you exactly what's going to happen and like when the guy who is is the bearded guy who's kind of the second in command for for bill paxton's character when he's describing why should we believe this woman she was an actress she started out her name was rose dawson chained married a guy named calvin like it literally tells you her name is Rose Dawson in the first mm-hmm. five minutes of the film. And you don't notice it because he's just kind of beating on, like going through her resume. And 100%. then obviously she's going to become like, and like, unless you're listening for it, like they tell you exactly what happens in the movie. Like you could write down Rose Dawson and then realize five minutes in, but you don't because James Cameron is a really good director. And that was a really clever way to do that in a way that it tells you the information that you need to understand the entire film uh, in the first five minutes, but you don't appreciate it yet. You know? 
I agree. That's nuts. I, I never even thought about the, the Rose Dawson in the beginning being like, oh, yeah, it happens right before. And he's like, hi, I'm Jack Dawson, like immediately yeah. afterwards. So crazy. I also, for, for whatever reason, like I Mandela affect my own memory of like that poker game. And I just assume that he cheated at cards, but like he actually won. Cause yeah, like, I, think I, he I remember. Too. Yeah, I thought he did too. <laughs> I remember the guy he's facing, you know, like cocking up to punch, but I think he like swings at him. Like I, in my head, the way that scene plays out is that he's lying. Like he's not just bluffing, but he's lying. He's just like full house and nobody looks at his cards and he just takes the papers and runs off. But no, he actually has the hand. Like he, he won the game. Like he actually got on there, but I feel like it almost would make more sense in terms of like making your own luck if like he just got on there illegally, but I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe that, maybe that goes against it, but it feels like in my head, I'm just like, Oh, he shouldn't have been on that boat, but he was supposed to be on the boat. Like he won. He's not a thief. Like is the thing, like he's a rogue, but he's not a thief. And like, I think it's important that he wins that hand clean because again, like when we come back to the monologue at dinner, he's just like, listen, I just take day one at a time. Like whatever the day is going to give me, I'm going to do. He's not like, I'm going to seize the day. That's very not Jack. Right. He's going to take what life gives him and apply it. And like, again, like, so like, that's also a thing where it's just like, it is very, very, he makes the movie reflect itself in ways that I just really love. Jack is the last person on the Titanic to get on the Titanic. And he's also the last person to get off the Titanic. Like there's just, he really Mm. like Cameron is just very conscious of the film that he's making. I don't know. I just really dig it. I'm sure there's a million more things we could talk about, but for fear of going way too long, Walt, (laughs) is there anything else, any other moments, any other scenes, any other characters, performances, anything you want to talk about? Like we're not in a rush to get out of here, but you know, anything else that you want to make sure that you cover before we watch the trailer and play the letterbox game? I will. I'll, uh, there's two things that I wanted to do that I want to make a note of that I like appreciated more in this go of the movie. And I'll keep it quick. One is like it like there are like two really good moments in the film uh, where James Cameron articulates the geography of the Titanic in a way that will be important later. So like, there's the moment when like, okay, full steam ahead. And then they like show the captain relaying the orders, to the boiler room and they show the boiler guys putting that in. And then they show the engines going and then they show the rudders. And like, they basically show, okay, here's what the top of the ship looks like. Here's what, here's how the ship works so that when we break the ship, you can understand, Oh, these guys are at the bottom. And then, Oh, these guys are the second from the bottom. And Oh, when the boiler goes out, that's when the lights go off. And it basically, it is like a, a, almost like a little, quick montage and there's another part when victor garber is leading them around and giving them a tour of the ship that's the same way and there's another part when they're like being when they're running through the ship to try to evade the 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 cop um that basically you get a full visual tour of the ship before they break the ship and that is why that that scene when it's sinking you just understand it so intuitively because you have an understand you're never lost in the titanic you always understand what this thing is and it is just genuinely a really good triumphant moment of directing for james cameron to explain like a ship entirely top to bottom captain to boiler instantly Mm -hmm. and and you understand it later and i i really like that about that movie um that that is definitely the one thing that i wanted to shout out because i i I don't think i appreciated that uh as much he does he does a lot of show don't tell yeah it's awesome i like the geography of things like like the the mapping of things and knowing where things are because again like we were talking you know at the beginning of, of the conversation like you spend so much time not near water that you're like you you got to you get a you get a real sense of how big of an undertaking this is right it's just like this is a big ass boat and then the other one is just like again like i've been shouting them out as they've come up but like i am just so always like tickled by how 
well constructed this script is like you see the car that they eventually have sex in being loaded into the Titanic Mm. and that big wide shot is how you see the Titanic for the first time you basically you go up with the car following the cars that's being loaded in and that car Uh. becomes essential later and like that's kind of your first bird's eye view of the scale of this thing right like when they're loading onto the ship and obviously like the first class people get a nice little stroll on and everyone's kind of like muscling about in the water like that kind of reflects what goes on later the staff are all whistling the whole time to get the baggage on and they're all whistling to try to attract the attention of people after the lifeboats come out like the the i'll never let go stuff happens twice one is when jack promises to never let go when she's dangling off the side of the stern and then the other time is when she eventually lets him go uh, when they're on the like there's just like again a whole lot of them yeah, the you jump, I jump comes up twice. Like they set it up and they pay that off. The spit happens, and I think the spit is just like mm-hmm. again, like I don't love that scene at first, but then when it happens and pays off in the end, I'm just like, holy shit! It's important that they meet at the stern of the ship, and that's where Jack and Rose meet, and then you know they kind of fall for each other at the at the bow, and then when she eventually throws the heart of the ocean off, it's from the stern of the research ship, and like it's basically just kind of yep, you know, a nice full circle thing, um, and like. You know, there's like two moments where like James Cameron really deploys a like tight shot simply on Kate Winslet's face, and it's just up to her to emote the scene. One is the one where she's looking at that little aristocratic girl, and then the other one is like the holy shit shot of the movie, which is where she's being lowered down in the lifeboat, and she looks up at Jack, and then the, like the flare in the background just has that like yeah. beautiful like bat like backlit thing, and like she makes the abs- absurd decision to jump out of a lifeboat and into danger again because this is just what she needs, and like that's like like you know that's the moment where she becomes Rose Dawson, like that's the moment where she yeah. like fundamentally decides to leave the comfortable life behind and her mother and just become the person that she thinks that she ought to become, and like it's just like there's just so much like parallelism that they do uh, in the movie that I just really like. And I'm sure if I watched it again, I would find 10 more. It's just, it's that well-constructed of a film. Yeah. Well, what other movies do you love like this that you could teach me about? Because it's awesome to listen to you make all Yeah, I mean, the other one that I love, I think Jurassic Park does a really good job of this. Um, And, like, I think Mm. that that one's been a little bit eaten to death (laughs) when it comes to, like, you know, oh, you have the helicopter and the two female, uh, like, uh, uh, seatbelts. But, like, I think, like, there are types of directors nolan i think is the one that is probably the most active right now um that really are very cognizant that like they use all the parts of the buffalo when they make the movie uh scorsese is really good at that i think if you think about a film like the departed um the film kind of tells you what it is even though you don't necessarily realize it time and time again um it's 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 great again like i i I think it's just kind of the mark of somebody who's like really kind of assumed full control of their craft and also i think is is either one where you have a very good relationship between screenwriter and director or in this case like the director is the writer and like this is just Mm -hmm. a story that he has absolutely understood um not films but comic books tend to be good at this too i'm I'm, you know you guys know i'm a pretty big comic book guy and i think that the hawkeye uh matt fraction arc does that so perfectly uh as well as uh like you know some of my favorites of um you know the one that immediately kind of comes to mind is uh all the neil gaiman comics when it comes to the Sandman. And I think that those stories oh, sure, are just yeah, kind yeah. of very much like well-designed traps. But um, I don't know. I think that that's, again, a writer skill more so potentially than a director skill, but the writers who write in the like writers, like who have a really good rapport with directors, um, you know, they, they pull it off a lot. And who have the trust and faith and yes. whatever in the studio to like, let them make the movie they actually want to make. hundred percent. Like, yeah. yeah. Joe, other moments that you want to share? 
just because I have to throw in a fast connection, mm. uh, when Jack is handcuffed to the pipe, that's the that's the Dom special right there. <laughs> and I was just thinking, this is this is every Vin Diesel movie ever. Him being handcuffed, his hands aren't above his head, but he's handcuffed to a pipe. Although she uses a fire axe, if she had used a wrench oh. to get it, I know, perfect. Oh, no, that was my last thought. If Jack was played by Vin Diesel, the Titanic would not have sunk, right? Well, it definitely, no. if it was Mark Wahlberg, it wouldn't have sunk. 9 11 wouldn't have happened. <laughs> oh, I wasn't even going there, but yeah. <laughs> I will I will also say that the uh, Rose repeating come back, come back, come back is one of the saddest things I've ever seen in a movie. Yep. And, you know, that happens, and then she does the, you know, we go back to modern day, and she talks about, like, what happened to Cal and everything, then we go back, and I think we close maybe on Rose saying Rose Dawson. And then the credits start to roll on Netflix, and it's like, hey, want to watch Quarterback about Patrick <laughs> Mahomes? It's like, no, I don't. And, like, we've cr- – I remember when we did – I don't remember what movie – actually, I could find out because I complained about it. Hold on. You're missing a key part, by the way, of that, which is the, the final scene, which we should at some point address potentially as our final scene. But, like, that was a, a bananas crazy pants decision that has also permanently changed my understanding of how stories work, uh, the fact that he uh, dared to do that in the dream. Um, but go on. No, let's get there in a second. But I remember when we did Blue Valentine for Boy From Material, the Gosling podcast, and that movie ends and I'm just like, I'm I'm crying and I'm just like, and it smashes up some like horrific, like, you want to watch and I could, I could maybe find it. But like, I'm like, no, Netflix, like just give some movies a little bit of breathing room. Yeah. Like there's yeah. 10 minutes of credits here in Titanic. Like give us a couple minutes and then, you know, sell Kirk Cousins doing whatever nonsense in quarterback. <laughs> yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about Rose dying in her sleep, and then her dream. Is it dream or is it heaven? What is? That? How do you? How do you? How do you picture that at the end? I read it as. Um, I don't read it as death. Uh, I potentially. Okay. Re- I, I read it because again, like it, it's tough for me because I think knowing that the song was written after the film was completed. I don't know what the intention of Cameron is. Obviously the implication of the song is every night in my dreams, I see you, I feel you. And that maybe this Mm -hmm. is just where she is every night. And I don't hate that. There's also the implication of just, you know, having relayed the story of Jack, having ensured that Jack lives on in some capacity, having, you know, left her heart down at the Titanic and and having understood that this truly did happen. And that the life that she led was worthwhile that like, you know, there is maybe a world in which like, you know, whether she dies or not, I mean, it's just like, no, her life is now complete. Like she has done the thing that she, like the loop is mm. closed. And like that, that I think could, that inner peace doesn't necessarily have to be death entirely, but I think that there's a resolution there. Absolutely. That, um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, it is like one of the, it's an audacious choice. And how do you make a movie about a tragedy into something that people feel good leaving? And mm-hmm. it just works. And it is just like, I just can't get over the audacity of it and how much I love it, you know? Um, For me, yeah. Watching the ending this time, like I said, I haven't, like, really spent... And, and because I like the first half of the movie much more, feeling emotional and sappy at the end, like, was probably the first time I felt that watching this movie. And I was like, oh, man, like, I have gotten old in the sense that, like, I've gotten beat down <laughs> in the world. And, yes, I think everything about it is beautiful. And, like, you can't hate on it. Like, you can try, but, like, it just works. It's it, – how do you make a happy ending, a feel – even, like, a feel-good, a little bit ending? It It's perfect. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I always start melting whenever they go through the pictures. And you realize, like, 
Oh, she did. Yeah, she kept the promise. She went horseback ride. She learned how to horseback ride. She said, oh, you have to learn how to yep. horseback ride that. She learned how to do it. Uh, you're going to have lots of babies. They show her surrounded by kids. Like, all the things that, like, Jack wanted for her, and or at least revealed to her that she herself wanted for herself, she did. And, like, that's, like, the moment that the pan happens, you know, dead or alive. Yep. I think that the resolution is is, is, is obvious. I found that Blue Valentine, after Blue Valentine ended, it was advertising an Adam Sandler movie, which I was... <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I will say it's not as good as Titanic, because very few things are as good as Titanic, but there is a movie that we found for Cruise Club, which is a sort of unknown kind of third, third, I think, uh, movie between Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise called Far and Away. Which I've actually... never heard of that. Wait, hold on. Your fiance might have been on that episode. Hold on. No way. <laughs> Let's see here. Hold on. It's a it's a turn of the century romance, European American, like across the pond, whatever. And it's Cruz and Kidman because they had obviously done Eyes Wide Shut together and they did Days of Thunder together. But between those movies, they did this movie Far and Away in 1992, directed by Ron Howard. It's like two and a half or three hours long. It's it's long, but it's also like. In terms of like things that feel like Titanic, again, not as good as Titanic, but yeah, Michael Domenico, host of Not Her Again. Yeah. Amazing. He was on. So ask him about it. See, see, yeah. I might be crazy, but ask him if that is because I think we talk about it being sort of Titanic y. Again, it's like a two and a half hour Irish epic, whatever, but like <laughs> it kind of feels Titanic y. So I would recommend Far and Away if you want something that is kind of like Titanic, but isn't titanic so i love that that's great are you guys ready to watch the trailer the trailer that i pulled for this is one posted eight years ago it's the hashtag tbt trailer so this mm. isn't the original i could find the original one or we could watch this one that 20th century studio fox put up it's hold on this one's four minutes and 17 seconds long we don't need that hold on titanic original trailer yeah let's see here okay here we go this is what we want to do i'm going to put in in the zoom chat here Fire this bad boy up. Yeah, this is two and a half minutes. This is much better. This, this is, is what posted by the trailer guy 12 years ago. That's a, that's a long time ago. That is a long time ago. I will say that there's a lot of good trivia about this movie. I didn't want to go too much. But there was one test screen. And I also don't know, like, because I, I read this before I saw the movie. And then I was watching the movie. And I'm like, this feels impossible. But apparently, they were showing a test screening of this movie. They didn't let the audience know what they were watching. Mm-hmm. And so the movie starts. And, it's in the, and they just thought that they were watching, like a different version of the trailer before whatever they were watching. And then when it went back to 1912, they're like, oh my God, it's the actual movie. But like, I'm like, that's like 15 minutes in the movie. Like you thought you were watching like a 15 minute trailer that like makes logical narrative sense. Like that's, it almost doesn't feel believable, but also like, can you imagine not knowing you're about to see like the biggest movie of all time and being like, oh, by the way, you're watching Titanic. Like that's an amazing That'd be wild. That's so good. Also like you're like three hours in this shit too, you know? I would like, I would subscribe to a service that like, scheduled movies for me on a frequent enough basis and like didn't tell me what they were and like just like plop down in front like like michael uh you know who, who's appeared on this podcast as we just mentioned um like does not watch trailers does not read press whereas i as an occupational hazard do and like i feel like his yeah. way of life is far better than than mine is i try to do that too <laughs> and sometimes it backfires but most of the time it works really well and like for a while I was asking friends like what do you like name a movie that I haven't seen that you think might be my favorite movie of all time and I would just like watch that and then like it was almost an, again almost an unqualified success um, but there's something magic just about like somebody knowing your taste and being like you're gonna love this don't look anything up just just watch it and then you do and you're like wow so that was really good yeah yeah 
Okay. Titanic 1997 original trailer by the trailer guy. Are you both ready? Do you have a queued up? I'm I ready. got a queued up. All right. Three, two, one, play. It's got to start with the music, right? Or no? I think it has to, right? Well, I got the Fox logo. Does that mean that this is an international? Oh, oh I don't know. It's ironic that it's not credits. Paramount. <laughs> no, it doesn't start with the music. It starts with voiceover. This is it's a little corny. And a corny. little corny? Uh, yeah. Key. I'm sorry. This Boy. is terrible audio for people who are. I'm in a state of no, no, no. Like I'm, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna layer underneath. They'll, they'll be able to hear this, but like, this is not a good trailer. This is a terrible trailer. In a Keeping world where boats the fourth highest grossing float. film of all time, based on this terrible trailer, one iceberg is going to try to break it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're not doing any justice. It's just showing you the boat. And... It's also, like, it's shot like a Liam Neeson scene. It's just like, cut, 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 cut. It's <laughs> very, it's cut very quickly. And, like, you know, I don't think it's not, I don't think it's unfair to call this, like, an act, like half of it, at least an action movie. But, like, the whole movie's not like this, right? No, like, it's, they're selling it like it's the Poseidon Adventure. Which I guess makes I was sense. gonna say Poseidon Adventure. Yeah. I was gonna say Poseidon Adventure. I will say in That's this exactly film, feels like. there are three gunshots and two flares, and all of and them have been in the. <laughs> every one of them is in the trailer. <laughs> Well, that's like, you know, we when we covered Airplane this lap, or for a bonus episode, and we watched a trailer, it's like, oh, so you did every memorable joke is in the trailer. And, like, still, I mean, there's still a lot of funny stuff, but just, like, you really shot your entire load here. Yeah. I mean, listen, I like this these... movie looks expensive. It does. It, looks, it definitely looks expensive, yes. I agree. I like that the fonts make it look like Con Air or something. Like, it's just, like, a very aggressive mm -hmm. male, like, word <laughs> art, like, silver lettering. Yeah. I can't believe they're spoiling the boat sinks. I think that that's kind of funny, though, that they spoiled <laughs> That's kind of a good choice. But it's, it's Poseidon Adventure. They're trying to they're trying to film it as, as a action adventure. Even 100%. though it's categorically not that. Imagine if you got duped in, like you were like a super <laughs> dude bro, and you're like, yes, I'm going to go watch this action adventure movie about the Titanic, and then it's just a love story. And it's that soundtrack behind it of just like the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking through the comments to see if people comment on the trailer. One person, Michael Sharples8535, says, I think this trailer is the best to take you back to the time it was released. It's very much a product of its era, 90s trailers. We're all about action and making everything seem intense. Whoever cut this trailer deserves an award for most dramatic trailer. And then he does the grinning, squinting face emoji, like the eyes closed, laughing like... I don't know if he's being serious or not, but like, I don't tongue in cheek. It's I, a little tongue in cheek there. I think that they were. It's not the most dramatic trailer. It's just the most trailer. It's the most trailer. It's the most. Yeah, tra trailer. Yes. Most trailer. Yeah. yeah. Fair. Okay. Yep. So, Walt, I don't know if you've ever played this before with us. Oh, we God. play a letterbox game. So for reference sake, Mad Max Fury Road, one of the most popular films on letterbox has been seen by 1.6 million people. So Titanic from 1997, directed by James Cameron, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet, Billy Zane, and Kathy Bates has been seen by how many people? Both of you can take a guess. 1.2 million. 1.2 million. Walt, what do you think? What was Mad Max Fury Road? 
1.6-ish. Like, just under 1.6. Is that the top, or is that just a, a one that you're throwing? We don't know. We just It's just a benchmark. It was the one yeah. that, when we started this, I had never seen one more than that. There's there's more, there's more a bunch of movies, like, Batman has, like, 2.3 million. Like, The Batman. Not, not yeah. 89, but, like, Pattinson Batman. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come in. Oh, are we doing uh, Closest to the Pin, or is uh, Price is Right rules? Uh, closest, closest, yeah. Not I'm gonna take movies, a two, yeah. two, two point one on that, please. We can basically stop. It's 2030, 2.03 million. Walt, Excellent very, very guess. Close. A hair Walt, over. Excellent guess. I don't know. I mean, listen, if we're doing prices right, I'm like... <laughs> Average wow. rating of 3.8, most common a 4, then a 5, then a 3. How many out of those 2 million people have this in their top four favorite films of all time? So, Walt, if you don't know, but on Letterboxd, uh, you can put your four favorite films. Sure, sure. You like, could theme it or whatever. How many people have it in there of the 2 million having their top four i'm gonna guess 125,000, and i think okay. that's an absurd number i was gonna guess eighty thousand. you're both i would say way too high really uh yeah yeah, yeah i yeah. forgot which service because it's an box. older movie you have to remember it's an older movie the number is still insane but those two are in really insane like, okay it's, it's still an insane number so like when you hear you be like that's fair seven thousand thirty five thousand one more time in between, between seven and thirty-five. And I will tell you, I will tell you, here's a here's a big hint. It's a multiple of seven, just like both of those. Shit. Twenty-eight. Yeah. I I, I was gonna go twenty-seven after that anyway, so yeah. That's not a multiple of seven though. Twenty-one then. Twenty-one thousand. Twenty-one thousand people. And that's a like, lot of people. Gotta be. There has gotta be one that's, of my friends a who has the top four. And like five people I follow have this in their top four. Really? We're a bit of Brittany Butler at Brittany Butler. So Brittany Butler was on The Voice. She reached out to us when we were doing the Shia podcast because she loves Even Stevens. She has an Even <coughs> Stevens show. She's like, thank you guys for doing this podcast. She starts her review with my favorite movie of all time. If aliens landed on Earth and said, show us the pinnacle of American cinema, I'd show them Titanic. It's a perfect example of why we go to the movies. It goes on from there. She's written like five very long, very heartfelt reviews five stars so Brittany Amen. butler i think that's a great way to appraise it i think it genuine like again like if i were showing an alien a thing this would probably be it this would this is i think in many ways it's everything it's action adventure love huge cgi huge budget intentionality yeah i'm with you yeah so we're gonna go to Brittany's account and Brittany's favorite film of all time number one on her profile is titanic now the other three movies are all from the 2000s between 2002 and 2007 Okay, so 2002 and 2007, they're that all helps. three very big movies. Joe, you and I have covered one for a different podcast. We have covered a sequel to another for this podcast. And I believe Brian Rodriguez probably, if I'm getting it right, would have covered the third for High School Slumber Party. But they're three enormous movies, one of which I will say, here's a big hint, One's a superhero movie, and the one we covered a sequel to, or a sequel of, is this one. So what's the biggest, or one of the biggest superhero movies between 02 and 07? I believe I believe I may have it. I was going to say Spider-Man 2. It's the first Spider-Man. You guys were both right there. Spider-Man 1, Walt, just over. Should have gone 1 instead of 2. Spider-Man is her number 3 favorite movie of all time. Good what choice. Is... Yeah. No, I... Okay, these other two are both very heavily influenced and about music. They're both okay. popular okay. movies, of course, both in that 02 to 07 range. Now, 03 to 07, I will say, because Spider-Man was 02. So 03 to 07, both music, one of which, Joe, we covered for another podcast. 
a music movie we cover. Is it High School Summer Party? I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, High School Musical? It is sorry. not a High School Musical movie. Fuck, okay. But it's the right podcast. What's another Zac Efron music Hairspray? Hairspray. Good shit. Miss Baltimore wow. Crabs, number four. All right. Number two, from the year 2003, music-based. Here's the hint's going to give it away. When I was down in Austin recently uh, at the ice cream shop I went to, they always have a quote on there, and the quote was from this movie. So if that doesn't give it away, I don't know, you know. It, they just... I love that. Yeah, I know exactly what it is. I'm just going to let Walt guess, though. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> just, kidding. Um... just kidding. No, just kidding. We have no idea what it is. The, the, the clue was terrible. I will <laughs> say, I, I, I said it to be it'd be intentionally, but like it's a, it's a very popular movie. It's got 1.1 million times logged, directed by a very famous director, written by a very famous writer. Starring uh, can, a very I famous movie. can I throw something out there? Can I throw something out there? Is yep. it Moulin Please. Rouge? Yeah, go. Nope. Oh, that's more, a good guess, I would though, say bud. More family friendly. Got it. Got it. Got it. I, again, I don't even know when Moulin Rouge came out, but that. And sounded... I will say, I think, I think, unless I have the years wrong. Oh no, it's it's too old. It's in the vein of Brian's show, but it's not a high school movie. But it's so close. it might be like a college movie, Walt. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've been, or I've, a I've, been I've been on the college show. Movie. It's a, it's, I enjoy that show. Or the other yeah. way. Maybe Sorry. not college, but maybe the other way. A grade school movie? Very possible. And it's musical? Mm-hmm. That's not high school musical. No, that's not that, high that's school. not a grade school. That's a high school. Yeah, sorry. Huh. Shit. Yeah. Is it that's Matilda? Funny. No. Oh, good guess. Yeah. Famous director. Again, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna the year, star. so I don't know if I'm if I'm missing it by much. Neither am I. That's also yeah. the joke. He gives me the years because um, I don't know them. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, I will say this: writer has gone on to write multiple HBO TV series. Okay. What the director, that? I would say, is one of our very few, even though he's a very scattered filmography, very sort of, one of the, the preeminent auteur directors. He's definitely got a style. Interesting. I'm stumped. This Musical is a good game. Musical grade school movie, 2003. I'll auteur. give you the tagline. Was, give it away. Sure. Please, please, please. He just landed the gig of his life, fifth grade. Oh, is it School of Rock? It's School of Rock. Ah, oh, excellent. There there directed go. by Richard Linklater. Thank you. Yep, that makes sense. Mike White, who went on to write wow. Enlightened and also. That's a good pull. What's the vacation one that I can't think of right now? That first season was in Hawaii. Second season was in Italy. Oh, uh, the White Lotus. White Lotus. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Mike Incredible. White. Incredible. That's good. What so good Titanic, pull? School of Rock, Spider-Man, and Hairspray 4. Good movie. So shout out to Brittany Butler. Four good movies. Yeah, good. Four that and for playing the game and thank you walt for joining thank us you, to talk walt. all about titanic oh it was my again i really really dig this movie so when you sent over the various options on the menu i was like do you mind if i take the a big film and uh and yeah thank you for trusting me no, on the episode excellent. and and uh having me on and, and letting me show the book a little bit and uh and yeah i always love to talk titanic you know so we talked about your book at the top but if you want to re you know, reset here the book at the end. Not that people jump at the end of a podcast. Like, this isn't radio. This isn't My Heart Will Go On on the radio. But if you want to, you know, reiterate <laughs> books out next week, one week from today on one the 24th, week from today. 
where people can get it, what it's about, why people should buy it. Yeah, uh, the book is called You Are What You Watch. It is all about how pop culture affects people, whether that's the science of it, whether that's the the societal element of it, whether that's how our world is fundamentally changed by the movies and the stories that we tell each other. Um, It is chock full of awesome data visualizations and charts. You're going to learn something new on every page. Uh, It is exciting and fun. And again, like if you dig Numlock, my newsletter, uh, you'll know exactly what I'm going for here. It's, It's informative. It's it's exciting. It's a good, easy read. Um, and I couldn't be happier with it. Uh, you know, I think uh, yeah, a thing that I really love about the show is that you guys just really, really love movies and really love the things that we can experience with them. I think that you're very, like, you know, agnostic when it comes to the canon in a way that I really appreciate and admire. I think that you enjoy the experience of movies and, and talking about them on their merits and, and for that. And I've always kind of, you know, really kind of dug that point of view. And I think that as I was reporting the book out, I, I only came away with a more and more appreciation for, for everything that movies can do to folks. And so, yeah, it is called you are what you watch. Uh, it is available wherever books are sold. Um, if you want to find where it is now, you can go to what you dot watch, which is the URL I bought that I point to wherever they want me to start putting stuff. So, yeah. Oh, I'm glad that you said that you had that takeaway that like, you know, it only made you appreciate movies. Cause there's like a very dark timeline of this where like you do all this research. Yes. Like, fucking hate movies i'm never watching a goddamn movie again i can't believe i mean i was i was worried about it i genuinely was because i you know working in data journalism a lot of times you see stuff like moneyball where like moneyball Mm -hmm. like was a clever clever thing that happened but it's very it's it's hard to dispute that it made the game of baseball less interesting for a lot of people yeah and i was i've always been kind of worried that i would hit that point when i was covering pop cultural stuff and i am like I, I am assiduous, I am hardworking, I am at this stuff constantly, and I've never once come away with a more mechanical and uh, more bloodless and data-driven way of looking at the movies than, you know, every time that I come away that I'm always amazed by how much soul goes into this stuff and how much the data that we do collect just kind of reveals, you know, fascinating human elements about what we like it. So I don't know, like, I, I, I'm glad that you noticed that because I was genuinely worried about it and it did not happen. And uh, yeah, so. That's awesome, dude. Okay, I can't wait to post a picture of my copy when it comes out. Amazing. Yeah, I'll take a picture uh-huh. I'll take a picture of my iPad <laughs> and be like, look, it's in color. Yeah. Uh, well, okay, thanks again for having me on. This is a real treat. Yes. Our next episode is Another Life in the Fast Lane, Minute 94 next week. And then instead of going to a Fast and Furious movie, because the next Tuesday is Halloween, we are doing a bonus little slotted in there Halloween movie. We're doing a movie from 1986 that is a trauma film starring a very young Paul Walker. We are doing a movie that I had never heard of before I started researching for Halloween movies, Monster in the Closet, which I think might be on YouTube or I think you can find it somewhere online. But Monster in the Closet from 1986 releasing on Halloween. I know nothing about it. There were like two like 80s horror, like with maybe Paul Walker's in both or something. I'm just like, this one looks better. So we're doing Monster in the Closet in two weeks. <laughs> and then after that, back to our regularly scheduled Fate of the Furious, which would be very cool. I also want to give a shout out to our patrons. Shout out to Cassie Wilson, Nick Burris, Alex Ellen, Justin Kleiman, Brian Rodriguez of the Ooh. aforementioned High School Summer Party. West Hampton, Jerry Robinson, Dan the Duke, Hayden Renato, D. Donato, Michael McGann, Lane Middleton, Lindsay Lewandowski, Nate Milton of the Kings of Sport, Jason Rainey, Tom Price, Mike Gallier, Josh Buckley of Whole Lot of Wolves, Michael Moser, Christian Larson, Tara Newen, Aaron Willows, and Natalie Absolute, and Jessica Collins, a.k.a. Montez. Montez. Thank you all for supporting us the $5 a month level or above, and thank you all for listening. And for all things Too Fast, Too Forever, go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash Too Fast, Too Forever, or at Too Fast, Too Forever, 
on all the socials, including threads, which soon you can delete without deleting your entire Instagram. <laughs> Email us, family, at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon page at TooFastToForever.com and our store at cageclub.me slash shop. And come back next week for Life in the Fast Lane. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe Too. And that was Walt Hickey. And we will tell you all about it when we see you again. <laughs> <laughs>